He has an extraordinary range as an actor with roles including playing Green Goblin, Vincent Van Gogh, Jesus Christ, to name a few. And then, of course, the motel manager in The Florida Project, a talking fish, an army sergeant, and many, many more. With well over 150 credits, he's worked with many of today's most acclaimed filmmakers, Scorsese, David Lynch, Abel Ferrara, Lars von Trier, Mary Harron, William Friedkin, Catherine Bigelow. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's, pretty, that's almost as cool as being Jesus Christ. Yes. And you can see him in Poor Things, which is out now. Welcome to Welcome. our show, Mr. Willem Dafoe. Yay! We are very Hi. excited. This good, is, good. This is a big day for us here at the film that blew our, my mind. So <laughs> okay, it's a, it's a big deal. Okay. My, I am so desperate to get into talking yeah. about this this film. So I think we should do a little drum roll and ask Mr. Willem Dafoe, what is the film that blew your mind? It's a film called Onibaba. Mm-hmm. And it's by it's uh, directed by Kaneto Shindo. It's from uh, I believe 1964, and uh, I saw it many many years ago. I to tell you the truth, I haven't seen it recently, but oh. certain images and certain aspects of it will be forever with me. Wow. And we're going to look at. We're going to start with just showing the trailer to get us in the mood for Onibaba. Okay. Um, and then I'll, I'll do a quick synopsis too, just to get us okay. all the way in. All right. I love that logo. Yeah, Toho scope. Hope that brings back fond memories. Yeah, it does. But it's a very strange trailer. (laughs) It is. It's it's a completely non non linear trailer. It's it's like a poem. That trailer. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Because the actual story. I'm going to read the synopsis off of Criterion, which is our source for so many great things. Yes. Is deep deep within the windset marshes of the war torn medieval Japan. An impoverished mother and her daughter-in-law eke out a lonely, desperate existence, forced to murder lost samurais and sell their belongings for grain. And then the rest ensues from there. There's a lot of um, um, desire, passion, and a lot more violence in this film. So, right. Um, and that trailer is very weird, right? It's very true. I mean, uh, some of the images are really beautiful, and it, it makes me remember parts of the movie. But the way it's built, not only is it non-linear, it's kind of flat because it doesn't have much shape, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes. It's just yeah. a bunch of images. Yeah. Oh, 
So uh, d- tell us, this <laughs> yeah. film absolutely blew my mind. I'm still in it. I just finished watching it. I'm still oh, in okay. it. It's extraordinary. Okay. But where did you, I, so I just saw it for the first time. Where did you see it for the first time? I, you know, I can't tell you precisely, but I have a pretty good gauge because I would say I probably saw it 35 years ago. Mm. And um, there were so many elements that I just loved. And one of the elements that never leaves me is uh, are the performances, the faces, uh, shooting style, and how kind of uh, brutal, uh, brutally uh, sexy it was in spots. Brutally also, sexy. So yeah. good. To, good and, to uh, and then... Uh, and just uh, certain themes floating around. I mean, this is a scene, uh, this is a, a film from 1964. And uh, one of the things that I loved is you have these women working together, perfectly happy in a world without men, basically. And they're surviving. Of course, they're surviving by basically living off the spoils of men doing stupid things. Well, you mentioned performance, Willem, and I just wondered what you saw in those performances. Uh, Just uh, a beating heart. I mean, it's one of those Mm. mysterious things. And, And I think probably because I love watching films where I don't know, uh, I don't know who the people are. And mm. uh, I didn't know these performers. And uh, you can really be go into it directly because you don't know whether they're considered good performers. You don't consi- know whether they're famous. You've never seen them mm-hmm. before. You don't even know whether they're considered, you know, attractive, unattractive, skillful, not skillful. You're just looking at this stuff. Mm. And you go directly into, you know, their faces, their bodies, and... I, I just remember particularly the young, young woman, she was like pure uh, pure desire for me in certain sequences. She was so strong and so physical. She yeah. was so present in her body, it just leaped off the screen. Yes. And that was important because he was really, uh, you know, the director, uh, when I read about him i remember he was very obsessed with this idea you know he, he's you can correct me on this but my my memory is he he identifies as a socialist and was very interested in class struggle and class consciousness and those sorts of things mm. and he thought so many of the problems of the world came from sexual desire <laughs> he was uh, he was really into freudian thinking <laughs> uh, and this movie has a lot to do with um, sexual desire. Sexual desire <laughs> being the prime thing, uh, uh, being the you know uh, a strategy for survival, because it's the thing that unravels this this uh, social situation, right? Uh, which is interesting to me that this guy comes and uh, their world is is disturbed and it's disturbed because with time he comes into the family and he introduces sexuality into this, uh, basically uh, sexless survival. 
but it also triggers certain things, like uh, then the older woman competes for the attention mm-hmm. of the man and fails and rejected, and that creates a huge problem. Yes. And also, the the woman, the younger woman is no longer very present, isn't much of a companion for this older woman because she's always running off uh, to be with this guy secretly. So I'm just saying, <laughs> listen, uh, uh, <laughs> there it, it creates how a situation is settled and then you introduce another person into yeah. it and everything shifts, that's all. Yes. Everything's fine until sexual desire comes into the picture and then everything explodes. You can't, and you can't outrun it. I love that whole notion of no matter what, it, it will creep back in. You know, they've, they've, they've pushed it out for, for their survival, but now it, it has to come back in. They have to let it in. Right. And, and outrun is outrun is such a good word, Cooper, because yes. for those people who haven't seen this film, did the, you should a, run to see it because it's extraordinary. But it's the setting is among the this um, Japanese Suzuki grass, which is like tall, very tall reeds, and so much of the the uh, environment, both emotionally, sexually physically is bodies in this in this reed grass and it's just astonishing um so there's lots of running through the grass either to a place or from a place and it's it's i just think it's amazing the the filmmaking like when you usually think of modern japanese cinema now and i don't know that much about it, i'm not an expert in any way but it always sends me I. slow and thoughtful and I was afraid when we, this movie started, I was like, oh, it's going to be one of those really, if it's that old, it's even slower. But it wasn't, it was a whole style that I hadn't seen the pace of it. When she, when she runs for desire, it is fast and she runs for it. It's not like, no. I'm going to saunter over and get sexy. It's like, no, I'm going to. It's very it's physical and very kinetic. Primal. Very kinetic. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that they're, um, do you know I love I, characters that he was he was kind of a pioneer of which was very unusual at the time of having you know he had his own product, production company and mm-hmm. my understanding is that was quite weird because to make a movie you usually went to the big studios and you either made it with them or you didn't make it but he created his own production company and he also had his own company of actors so he really pioneered the idea it's my understanding i wasn't Mm. there it's just what i read that right he pioneered the idea of uh, an independent um cinema in japan he wrote it says he wrote 238 scripts during his lifetime yes and a lot of of japanese masters uh you know filmed his uh, screenplays because mm. um, he only directed forty-eight, he only directed forty-eight of those. <laughs> a, mi- a mere forty-eight. Like, yeah, a mere forty-eight. Wow. And uh, the, the way he made this movie, it sounds like that he took his team out to this remote area where there was this grass, and they basically camped out, and they, you know, they looked like took three months. And uh, wow, I even read that. Uh, I think the production was pretty lean. And the idea was if anybody left, because it wasn't easy, because they built shelters and things out there so they could film. Uh, if anyone left, nobody would get paid. 
<laughs> so, like, if one person so, left, nobody would get paid. Yeah, it was like, yeah, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. talking about he was yeah. a socialist. <laughs> it's like yeah. great. I think and, that's uh, fascinating. But to think of them kind of camping out there and three months of shooting for that film yeah. is pretty substantial. But then, when you look at the film, even when you look at the the trailer, some of that stuff you feel like I can imagine. I mean. I've made films like that <laughs> where you get there and you just play around and you figure things out. He was, I mean, that's not to say he was shooting from the hip. I think everything was very designed, but I mean, to mm. get to that place and like some of the uh, uh, physical sequences, um, I'm sure were technically quite difficult to do with uh, what I imagine was not a huge budget. Right. Right. It. It. I wonder if it's, I don't think it is relevant biographically that he was born in Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Yeah. 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 Died there as well. And, and you know, his experience, um, apparently he was drafted into the Japanese Navy in 44 and was one of only six survivors from about 100 men uh, in his troop when he obviously returned to Hiroshima and found it demolished and his younger sister dying of radiation poisoning. These things must must have informed everything he did, but including yes. this this film. Right. Uh, you know, it's set in the 14th century, but there's something incredibly present about it and still, which will be an endless an endless philosophy about the f- the folly of war and the sacrifice of men and, and the stupidity of men, but also what that does to women uh, right. when these when these wars happen. It, it, there is a compassion in it, as well as this faint. Because you're talking about the three month, the three month shoot. There's something. It's not a fever dream exactly, but there's a, there's a, just a, a whiff of madness in it. Yeah, um, I agree. The madness of war and what that does to people is like the is the over top of it, and but then the the human passion comes up inside. And, I even got on a whole track in my head, like, wait, is this desire or passion? Like, what is the difference? Like, you know, sort mm-hmm. of. And you said desire, and that's why I, thought, I think this is just desire. It's pure mm-hmm. human desire for um, uh, sexual. And what things. and what we're what we haven't even begun to talk about are all the magical elements and that it really, you know, comes, there's lots of stuff from, uh, you know, the, the traditional, uh, right. Fables no. and, and mm-hmm. ghost stories and no, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that drumming. And, uh, there's also, there's also some jazz in it. So this guy was, uh, this guy was, uh, playing around and can we just talk for a second about his lighting which is it's in black and white so that's it, it's beautiful but wherever the characters were there was light for them for their face it was like <sighs> there, there was no based in any kind of notice so we worry about where's the light source coming from it's like no he goes we're not dealing with that we're just going to put the light on them whenever it needs to happen it's because sure. it's not just black and white it's black yeah. And it's white. It's yeah. so dramatic. It's so right. contrasty. It was beautiful. It's, right. it's a beautifully, I mean, it's a beautiful film to look at. Every image in it is beautiful. 
Um, right. Some some people may be put off by that, the kind of roughness of it. But just looking at those trailers, some of those close-ups and some of those uh, larger uh, no action scenes, they're they're just so uh, alive for me. There was something liberated about it, both in how he chose to to make the film, although clearly the cast and crew weren't liberated. Uh, but yeah. the but the there was something liberated about the way that the women were portrayed, the way they slept in this position. They're on their backs with their arms above their heads, naked breasts. Uh, with a, There was a kind of abandon about it. And it, even in their hunger, I mean, especially in their hunger for food and sex, they were kind of ravenous. Um, <laughs> there's a scene where a, a puppy um, ill-advisedly runs in front of them and that puppy is on a spit and being consumed by them within within seconds <laughs> eating big well, hunks of meat it's like okay big, wow they're going there on this one big hunks yeah. of puppy and the way they kill the way they kill the, the soldiers the samurai you come into their into their view is extraordinary and the sex is the same this appetite this appetite for something and that that in some way felt not 14th century, but 1964. Um, <laughs> and she and the older woman, when she's you trying can, to persuade you, can the, have both. You can have both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the older woman, when she has seen the the intense desire and the sex happening between the younger woman, her daughter-in-law, and the and the the guy who's come in, she runs away for it from it and she is kind of she puts her hand on her chest and then she wraps herself around a tree in the most sexual way oh, this right. i don't know if it's frustration or desire think, or what i think there's another word for that that she was doing <laughs> against the tree yes right. <laughs> ye old humping it, tree it, it, it does, yeah. it does. <laughs> yeah. the 14th century humping tree yeah. arboreal yeah. frottage i think uh, they yeah. call it <laughs> but it was it was very cinematic, but also that I, I this this relationship between the uh, the older woman and the younger woman, uh, you know, it was really interesting. I, I guess I was fascinated that they were. I'm not approving of how they were living, but they were fine. Mm. They had it worked out in yeah. a horrible time, and then this guy comes in, and then everything changes. Everybody starts scrambling for what they need. And it's changed just by that introduction. And it's right. interesting. And of course, there's this split between the, it's a question of survival, because she can't even, she can't even uh, live without the younger woman helping her. Mm. And then, and then there's the whole thing that she strategizes to try to, uh, 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 neutralize the man a little bit by trying to seduce him, and he totally rejects yeah. her because she's old, you know. So then that's a further tension. Yes, and they and and then her strategy to try to um, create fear to try to control the young woman with fear, and it's tinged with a certain kind of um, judgment about what she's doing is wrong. Remember, she she really threatens that something's bad bad is going to happen to her if she continues meeting him 
You know, there's a, a punishment for her sexual desire. So you've got yes. all these things floating around, people making strategies to try to survive. And it's all very elemental and primitive. And But it doesn't feel like ideas. It's very rooted in actions. And I guess yeah. that's what's beautiful about it. It's images. You know, there's not, not a lot of dialogue. And, of course, it's in Japanese. You're reading subtitles. But um, I just, when I think of it, I, I think of how how physical. You know, we've seen a few movies like this about the American Civil War, too. It's funny that this is a civil war. And there's been other movies about that sort of women. Um, yep. Perfectly fine. The, the, the Sofia Coppola film that, that came through, which mm-hmm. um, everything, like, again, it's everything's fine until a man shows up. And then... All right. There's also, yeah. isn't there one with Clint Eastwood too, or something? I think there's always one the, with Clint. Eastwood. That was even the, the, the one up. that was remade, remake of. I think it's uh-huh. Geraldine Page in it, if I remember. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I think it was a, a remake of that one. Yeah, the soldier shows up, and mm-hmm. all the women that have suppressed everything kind of comes out. Yeah. You know, so- I, I at one point, I. I looked at the film obsessively many years ago, and mm. this is when I was with the theater company, and uh, the director of that theater company, uh, Elizabeth LeCompte, was interested in doing something with this film, you know? Ah. And we even, I think for a period of time, even had the rights for it. And before we had the rights. I believe Sam Shepard had the rights for for a remake, you know, right. basically a remake. Or had could lean into, you know, the material. Mm. So you needed the rights. And curiously enough, he was talking about setting it in the Civil War. <sighs> but we, the reason why we, I mean, besides we were a theater company, we weren't filmmakers and weren't really connecting enough to find financing and take it to the next step. But also we really didn't know how to approach it because it's so steeped in Japanese culture to find an equivalent. It kept on disappointing us. I felt like we lost what we liked about uh, the movie because it's not just about story and there was no equivalent because it's so, it's so deeply rooted, particularly the magic stuff because you mm-hmm. just kind of accept that. And if you had to find a, an equivalent in, in North American culture, that would be pretty tough. Yeah. That's true. That the, the whole use of the mask and that. Um, the demon mask. The, 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 the demon title, mask. title literally means demon, demon hag or demon, demon woman hag. hag. Yeah. Yeah. And, oh and there's an alternative title too oh. called, <laughs> called The Whole. <laughs> All right, because <laughs> just for, for people who haven't seen it, when they when they kill these men and take all their stuff and sell it, they throw them down this hole. So it's just a big gravy hole of, and I love how that's just in the grass too. So you can fall in that hole very easily. I kept oh yeah, and it's in huge. fact, that last yeah. image is fantastic. Oh yeah. my goodness, yeah. yeah, it's it's extraordinary. The hole is interesting because it also it's like the. The whole, uh, it's a whole of longing. There's something, there's, oh, yeah, but I prefer oh. Demon Hag as a title. <laughs> um, Willem, I want to talk about you a little in relation to cinema as a, you know, 
it, your kind of formative years mm-hmm. uh, growing up, what was cinema to you and for you? Did you go to the cinema, cinema as a kid? Not so much. Not so mm-hmm. much. I mean, I always, like anyone, I liked movies, but I was like a, a kid that was very enamored of the theater. Right. So between uh, making theater, performing, um, you know, as for pleasure, like community theater, that sort of thing, and doing sports, that was my thing. It wasn't cinema. And then when I got older, I started watching, um, I would say, you know, a lot of foreign films, and that's where things kind of shifted. And I became mm. uh, interested. But that also was a time when I was touring a lot internationally with the Wooster Group. So we mm. were also seeing a lot of uh, companies from all around the world. So it was kind of an opening up, you know, and kind of a, a turning away from uh, traditional narratives and uh, traditional filmmaking. I was never one of those guys that thought thought about Hollywood much. You know? Right. Right. I, w- I was uh, just more interested in different ways of thinking and different ways of seeing. And kind of tied to that was my attraction to other cultures, because every mm. time I go someplace else, it was like, wow, you know, we're, you know, we're so America centric when we're growing up. At least I was in the States that this whole other world opened up to me and I wanted mm. to be out there. Right. So Where were you growing up? It's a very simple thing. I grew up right. in Wisconsin. Right, right. And yeah. what was theatre What was theater for you? What drew you to it? Um, theatre was, uh, you know, a, a safe place to uh, consider other people, uh, other ways of being, you know. It wasn't so much about literature. It was doing fun things. Is somebody typing? Do you hear that? No, I'm, I, I was clicking. Not you. Uh, oh, sorry. No, that's that's <laughs> nice. Okay. That was a good segue from it's like a child about thing. my childhood, and I started <laughs> clicking this thing. Yes, <laughs> you should look into that. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't want to. That's actually actually <laughs> yeah, the yeah. point. I don't want to think about my childhood. Not because it was painful, but it's not that instructive. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and that is fine. Because also in theater, too, it was working with other people on story, too. The, the, yeah. the, the camaraderie I, of theater is very in, 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 intoxicating, actually, when you're young. Very much, uh, even when you're old. Um, <laughs> yeah. I can, believe me, I know. Uh, but that's, that's also true of film. I think uh, that's very attractive to me. I like uh, working with a group of people for to realize a common goal that isn't defined yet that we're we're going towards something together and we're all have different roles and how it comes together is is fascinating and it's always different so you've got the beauty of an opportunity to explore things and it's always different uh your your task is always different and your collaborators are different it slides around and i think that's Mm. what keeps you curious and when it when it goes well, you know, keeps you in a sense of wonder. And for me, that's the place to be if you can. Have you done any role where you actually went to this film in particular? Like, oh, I 
I'm going to be playing this role, and this one is really going to be informed by this film in particular. This this film Onibaba? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a no. role that you that you took on, no? Because no. I, I see it. I see it, but but maybe you can you can you know, your lessons are learned intuitively, and it, when you have that kind of attachment, the second you, ta- you, you start to articulate it, it, it becomes kind of canned, I think, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not, maybe not, but I've never said, oh, I'm going to inject my feeling that I had for this into that. Okay. I'm, it's more about direct pretending and, and submitting to a different set of circumstance. So why drag something out of the frame into what you're doing. The, uh, mm. For me, the most important thing is to be receptive to what, what you're doing, what's there. I think a, yes. a major problem, major problem in making films is sometimes you get a plan because you have to have a plan. And I think you should make a plan, but you gotta be flexible and always sensitive to what's really there. But sometimes people get there and they try to put a square peg in a round hole, you know? Mm. It's not there. It's not as they imagined it. So mm. they got two choices. They either make it as they imagined it, or they do something else. You know, what they intended to do shifts. Mm. And I think um, both of those things are, are valid, and sometimes it's a combination of the two, but I'm always fascinated by that. And you have to be, you have to be, as you're saying, you have to be present and open to what's actually happening in order to sense where, where to follow it. I mean, it's, I guess it's, there are differences between, between fiction and nonfiction, but I remember talking to Agnes Varda and I said, what's her, how does she approach editing? Because some people, directors often love, they love the shooting or they love the editing and she said um she said when she walked into the edit room she does not ask herself the question did i fulfill my intentions when i was filming i asked myself the question what did i just make what did (laughs) i just do and there's a curiosity there that allows some openness and flexibility even if the funding structures don't so and when, and when I hear myself talk, I, you got to remember, I'm not a director. I'm an actor. So yeah. that's a different. I can be that kind of irresponsible. <laughs> I mean, irresponsible, irresponsible about the, the result. Right. Because I always feel like if I know why I'm doing something and my intentions are good and I'm really awake and I'm, and I'm engaged, then I'm I just do the best I can, you know. <laughs> but, but that's the second I start wondering where I'm going, right? Um, you always get tight somewhere. You get somewhere. You get self conscious, and you and you limit yourself because that's. Uh, but Willem, what do you think is more like life? Is it to always know why you are doing something, or is it you don't really know why you're doing something? You're just you, and you're doing this this stuff. I, uh, yeah, wow. I think it's, I think you switch hit, it's not one or the other. It's a combination of those things. Right. And the, perhaps the craft is, is to know why you're doing something, but read as though you don't. But it's, you know, so much of performing, so much of making anything is about commitment, you know, and kind of sticking with it. I think anybody that has a plan, 
it's it's the wrong way to go plan that they're trying to stick with with and being rigid with that. I see it with a lot of young people now. Here's what I'm going to do. I have a plan for my life. It's just like I'm always looking at them and like none of that's going to happen like that. Nothing's nothing's going to happen. And the thing is being alert and being present. That word present, which sort of wears out sometimes, but being no, alert okay to, to what's <laughs> to what's happening. What comes at you, what what fate throws at you, and how you make that into something is 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 really where the magic in life comes from. Cooper's getting deep and philosophical oh, sorry, now, so sorry. I'm going to I'm going to change the okay. I'm going to change the mood. We're going to move to our quick fire round, William. If you'll bear with us, uh, okay. I'm going to I'm going to kick it's this one your, off. With your favorite, your favorite. Well, question. I'm going to start with a. I have many favorite questions. One? I'm going to okay. start with a just a quick one. What's your favorite cinema? And your favorite yeah. cinema snack, Willem? Oh, my favorite cinema. Uh, you know, I bounce around. So uh, where do I go? I mean, I. it depends where I am. Uh, you know, favorite cinema, the one that I go to, unfortunately, is mm-hmm. probably mostly, you know, uh, projection at my house, you know. But uh, nice. I, I used to... When I was in the East Village, I used to go to the Downer. When I, you know, I went to the Talia from mm. Forum in the old days, Anthology yeah. uh, from Archives. Uh, those are all places. Um, nice. And your snack of choice? I don't eat at the theater. I eat when I'm at home <laughs> or on the street. I'm too busy watching. <laughs> Love it. Love the rigor. Okay. Here's a, uh, I'm interested in your answer to this. What's the most bizarre thing that's ever happened to you in a movie theater? I can tell you exactly. And it came to me right as I was on 42nd street watching, uh, uh in the day when 42nd street, when whole families would go there, because uh, it was a real people's theater, and you'd go there a Saturday night, and it would be packed. Mm-hmm. And it would be a lot of people from uptown, and the whole family would be there. And I went there to see a double bill of The Greatest and The Boys from Company C. <laughs> and the place was packed, and there were children running around, and you know, people were talking back at the screen. It was a lively group. It was packed in one of these huge theaters on 42nd Street. And in the middle of it, a guy ran down the central aisle, aimed a gun, and some cops chased him. And he <laughs> went right in front of the screen and out uh, like a fire exit. That was really something. Because everybody hit, everybody, you know, went docked for cover. And then five minutes later, the the cops they lost him, so they just kind of walked back, and everybody settled back into their Finish chairs the and kept on watching. <laughs> they probably didn't That's even stop one. the screening either. It probably just kept playing. No, right? they didn't. Cooper, you got a question? Um, no, um, no, yes, of course. Um, <laughs> what I want to talk about um, advice that you that you've either given or have been given to you what is the best advice that, that you that you ever got for who for you who's my audience for this advice <laughs> or well that's true but you know it well people who are living how's that oh, <laughs> people God. who are alive no you know what uh, it could be for actors it could be for other no, actors I, I refuse to be tempted 
You know, I don't, I don't have <laughs> last advice. temptation of Willem Dafoe. No, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't have too much advice. I've given advice, and it's always been uh, kind of <laughs> uh, the second it comes out of my mouth, I don't quite believe it. I mean, you know, <laughs> no, but the advice, the advice is the advice that other people have given me, and that is, mm. or or Vincent Van Gogh gives me, or you know, other mm. people that uh, you you read something and it, you know, really inspires you. Uh, if you're talking about, you know, young filmmakers or people starting out, you know, it's, it's the old story. Do this to do this. Don't do this to get that, you know, uh, and, mm. and do oh, that's things, a good one. do things for, I, I think maybe this is sort of advice, but do things Find out what you love and get near it. Don't worry about what your role is in it, but get near it. And I only say that because I've seen over and over again, like when I was in the theater, I've seen people come, and I, I guess I believe in sort of an, a, an apprenticeship, you know, mm-hmm. and where you go and you observe, and you get near the thing you like, and you start to have a, a dialogue with yourself about why you like it. So you start to learn. And if you are participating in a very modest way, like getting coffee classically or something like that, with time, I've seen it happen over and over. The day comes where they say, uh, can you read this line in here? And then all of a sudden you read a line, and you're there, you were there, you've been, you were there for a reason, and somehow you're good there. And then another line and another line. And before you know it, you insinuate yourself into the fabric of that place that you love, and, and that sends you someplace. So you know. it's, it's basically don't, don't measure where you are. You know, I'm not doing that because, you know, I can do better or, you know, mm-hmm. take it a step at a time and enjoy it, you know. For someone who doesn't like giving advice, you give I know that damn was good amazing advice. advice. Uh, <laughs> and you will not look back on it. this and say, I'll, "What did I'll I say?" I'll, I'll, I'll be, no, yeah, I'll be kicking myself tonight. Like, no, 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 no don't. What we give, we give you I permission say? not to kick yourself on that one. That was <laughs> okay. Okay. If this wasn't the film that blew your mind, what oh, right. would have been the other one that blew yes. your mind? Oh. That's a lousy question. But, uh, <laughs> it's, but it's usually will, mine. That's why I, I gave I it to Tabitha. I will tell you one of, the best, one of the best times I've ever had in going to the theater, uh, mm-hmm. movie theater. And it was at what I guess now is, uh, you know, what's that place called? Where they, the IFC, right? Mm-hmm. What was that theater yeah. used to be? Angelica? Called? No, not no, no. I have seen on Waverly. Sixth Avenue. It used to be oh, the Waverly, Waverly. Yeah. right? Sorry, right? Yeah. I went to the Waverly. Probably, I don't know the exact year, but it must have been late seventies. And it was one of those times where I had nothing to do, so I just went in, and I watched a double bill of "Beware a Holy Whore," the Fassbinder film, and "State of Things," the Vim Vendors movie. And they're both wow, they what were a coupled double together. Bill, first of all, yeah, they were, uh, and I didn't know. I didn't know. I knew, I knew both of them as filmmakers, but I didn't know these particular movies. And they're both films about making films. And I think first I saw 
state of things. And it starts out like they're making a sci-fi film or something. And if I recall right, there aren't credits or anything. It just rolls into it. So that really pulled the rug out from under me. And just I watched these movies in a very pure way. And they were very, very different. But I enjoyed them equally. So that was a really good time. Just showed the amount of... um, you know, if you're pushed, if you're if you're open to it, you know, worlds can open in a very short time when you're looking at that light on the screen. And you know, that's that's just it. I, I came out of that I came out of that theater a changed man. That's all I can say. And when that happens, that's thrilling. That is a wonderful way to end this. We have been talking with Willem Dafoe about Onibaba the 1964 film written and directed by Japanese filmmaker Kanito Shindo. And seriously, people, you've got to see this film. It will blow your minds. Thank you so much, Willem. Sure. If you'd like to share the film that blew your mind, send us an email to stories at thefilmthatblewmymind.com. The Film That Blew My Mind is hosted by me, John Cooper. And me, Tabitha Jackson. Our executive producer is Jessica Buzzard. The show is produced by Goat Rodeo, and to find more of their work, go to GoatRodeoDC.com. Executive producers at Goat Rodeo are Megan Nadalski and Ian Enright. Creative producers are Max Johnston, Isabel Kirby McGowan, Rebecca Seidel, and Jay Venables. Mixing and engineering by Rebecca Seidel. Intro music from Wayne Jones. Marketing and publicity by Stephen Raphael at Required Viewing. Graphics by Lee Fenvis. Special thanks to Trevor Groth, Kirsten Chalker, John Nine, and especially Christine Buzzard. Also to all our friends and family who put up with us and our crazy projects. Aww. If you like this episode, why don't you subscribe to stay up to date on new ones? And maybe leave us a rating and a review. Oh, and if you have any left, tell your friends.